It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, it's going to be a busy day, and I'm glad you're going to be with us along the way. It's my privilege to in studio. You're probably seeing if you got the uh, Fox Nation stream, Admiral James Jarvidis, uh, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. has got a, a book out now, uh, just out for a couple of weeks. It's called The Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea. Fresh off his uh, multi-week bestseller, 2034 novel of the next world war. Bottom of the air, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West wants to be the next governor of of Texas, but he has to get that nomination first. He'll be discussing that, and we have a lot of topics to go through. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This happened in broad daylight, and they have people come and break into your store while oh. there's customer shopping and there's children in there. My partner's... Children were in, came to visit him and his wife, and here comes two guys, one carrying a gun. Unbelievable, right? Joe Perillo, I spoke, spoke to him on Fox and Friends. He owns a, an exotic car shop, and it was robbed in broad daylight. The guys with guns. It's not left or right, it's right and wrong. And now business owners and law enforcement are speaking up and acting against wild, unchecked, smash-and-grab assaults plaguing major cities across the nation. Finally, when will the Democrats show the same outrage? Number two. New rules for kids in New York City starting today. Children as young as five will need to show proof of one COVID vaccine <laughs> dose to dine indoors, go to the movies or other performances. This also applies for school activities like sports, dance and band. Then starting December 27, the kids 12 and up will have to show proof of two doses. So parents, remember when you put your son or daughter, your five-year-old into an Uber, uh, make sure they have their Vax card uh, before they go to the theater. Here they go again. Mandate mania. Mandate mania has renewed focus on masks. But in New York, huge backlash. Nine counties say no, we will not enforce it uh, to the very green Governor Hochul. This is the Air Force uh, as the Air Force discharges 27 for not taking the shot with thousands more about to be shown the door. How is this helping? Number one. And the estimates for the CBO, which is really, a, you know, as you know, the gold standard, no Republican or Democrat questions this. But it's important to understand that when you when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a bill that doesn't exist. Exactly. Is it the gold standard or is it the fake score of a bill that doesn't exist? A one-two punch that might just KO uh, Joe Biden's reconciliation bill. The latest on the agenda, making or destroying the bill that could possibly wreck our economy or help build back Joe Biden. With me in studio, Admiral Stravitas. Admiral, it's always great to see you in person. Great seeing you, Brian. Congratulations on the president and the freedom fighter, which I have read. And if you flip it over at home, you'll see a Jim Stavridis blurb on the back. Proud of you. Which, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, of course, you said uh, you'll take a look at it and endorse it before you read it. So I truly appreciate it. But you did have the uncorrected proof, so I corrected the problems. Uh, But, yeah, it's been fun. This is my last weekend touring, so I'm going to... Tonight, I'm going to Newtown. Friday, I'm going to Nashville. Saturday, I'm going to uh, Dayton and Cincinnati. Uh, Where are you going, Admiral, with 
uh, the Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and here's why. Mark Levin sold a million copies in three weeks and said, I didn't travel. He said, I didn't even use social media. So what is, I mean, it's hard to get people even to, if I didn't have the stations helping me out, I don't know if I would even do a book tour. What about you? Well, first of all, you came to my hometown of uh, uh, Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Yes. You had a huge crowd there. Um, it can be done. For the record, I did invite you. We almost had I you. I know. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. that week. Um, to answer the question, I'm going to really hit the book tour hard on uh, the Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, after the new year. Okay. And we're out doing all the social media now. The book came out number one on Amazon in wow. the nautical military category. So that's a great start. Um, I think the idea here is to start with those who love the sea and then build out to those who want to learn about the sea. All right. A couple of things. Absolutely. I also heard that we're bulking up, according to Tony Blinken yesterday, the Secretary of State, we're going to bulk up our naval presence in the South China Sea in the following regions. We also worked at, I believe, a strategic alliance with Indochina, uh, Indonesia, excuse me. So do you do we have the ships and the naval capacity to to do something substantial there and do you believe this is the right move I believe it is the right move unfortunately our fleet today is roughly 300 ships it's not enough for the kind of global missions that we're looking at and Brian you didn't even mention the black sea the current crisis with Ukraine um the black sea is borders Russia, uh, Ukraine, and a number of NATO allies. We have four destroyers to patrol the entire Mediterranean and Black Sea. That would be like having four police cars patrolling Arizona, Colorado, and Southern California. It's not enough. What do we need? We need to get to minimum 350, I would argue, at least 400 ships to go forward. And let me give you a data point. China's fleet bigger than ours, 350 warships. We have only 300. We need to do serious work on this. Um, the Navy's aware of it. They're moving the budget forward. The Biden administration has to step up and support shipbuilding. We have more carriers, though, right? We have many more carriers. That's one of our great strengths, of course. And then secondly, Brian, our nuclear submarines are much more capable and more numerous nuclear submarines than China. So we still have advantages but that advantage is diminishing as we go forward in time. Uh, I know this is – we go from the sea to the land, but when you were Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, you knew you had to do both. And here we are in this region again. Yesterday after the vir- – last week after the virtual conference uh, with Vladimir Putin where we found out the president said I was very blunt and direct. We're going to hit him with major sanctions. But he also said this, cut 28. What made you decide to take uh, U.S. ground combat troops off the table when it comes to Ukraine? They never were on the table. And are you ready to send American troops into war and go into Ukraine to fight Russians on their battlefield? Look, here's the deal. I've made it absolutely clear to President Putin, that's the last thing I'll say, that if he moves on Ukraine, the economic consequences for his economy are going to be devastating. Devastating. So... What is your take about the message sent? And do you think it was smart to say take anything off the table? 
I would at this point advise the president not to take anything off the table and to kind of keep the framework as follows. We are going to provide the Ukrainians intelligence. We're going to provide them cyber, both offensive and defensive. We're going to provide them lethal weapons in significant numbers, not that they can use to invade Russia. They have no intention of doing that, but they can defend themselves. I'm going to mobilize the alliance and get NATO advisors in place in Ukraine. All of that needs to be on the table. We don't need to lay out a game plan. And the number one thing, however, that I do agree with is the biggest tool is economic sanctions. The president's right to emphasize those, but he needs to keep hitting on the other things I mentioned. As you know, there's about 25 separate sanctions on uh, Russia and nothing's worked. Nothing's been effective. Is this swift financial system something that would work or is it is it such a huge move that may be too provocative? I think there's something in the middle before we get to the swift sanctions, which would be the equivalent of an economic nuclear weapon. Uh, the swift sanctions are what would decouple Russia from the international trading system. That would be an enormous move. We ought to hang that out there. Just what we said a moment ago, don't take anything off the table. But interim steps could be personalized sanctions against the very highest members going after their finances, going after their um, social media and presence. And then secondly, oil and gas, going after Russian oil and gas, recognizing Europe is somewhat dependent on Russian energy. You know, see paragraph one, you and I have talked about this, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, big mistake. Now the Europeans are waking up to that. Why would President Biden f follow through on that? There was no pressure to do that. Who, the Germans are changing leadership. They bypassed Poland and the Ukraine. It's unbelievably selfish. While we have to watch their back on any Russia aggression, they totally – by the way, we could provide the natural gas. We could do it. It's costly, but the, the technology is almost there. It is. This is liquefied natural gas. Comes in big, huge ships, perfectly safe. They could come across the Atlantic and resupply it's Europe. It's going to be frustrating to you. It is frustrating, and I'm frustrated not only with uh, our our own uh, lack of consistency on this, but I'm also frustrated, frankly, with our European colleagues. We advised them that this would put them in an untenable situation. Here's the good news. The gas hasn't started flowing. Putin wants that gas to flow, so that becomes something of a leverage point for us. It's the crack pipe. It's yeah. the crack pipe they become addicted to. It's a, it's a correct analogy. What we need to do is just like we would with a crack addict here at home is wean them off that. And U.S. natural gas is a very good solution. All right. I just wanted this uh, Walter Russell Mead of the Wall Street Journal. He writes today, Vladimir Putin's having a good crisis. The Russian army has not entered Kiev, but Mr. Putin doesn't need to achieve this maximum objective to put some points on the board. At minimal cost, the Russian president moves have increased his political standing. First and foremost, Ukraine is popular in Russia. Many Russians care more about the Ukraine than the Chinese care about Taiwan. Ukraine is a larger, more economically more important territory than Taiwan. It's an integral part of the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union for more than 300 years, and many Russians consider it the cradle of Russian civilization. Second, the crisis making Russia feel great again. Like many people in Britain and France, many Russians are nostalgic for the old days. And third, the crisis divides American opinion, even as it unites Russians. The Biden administration has been distracted, uh, has been distracted from China. Progressive, uh, progressive, progressives um, on the Democratic Party are attacking Biden for a 
uh, for being aggressive with Ukraine, while some so-called national conservatives on the right sympathize with Putin. Anything there you you separate from from the columnist? No, I think that is an excellent laydown. And in particular, I think he emphasizes a point that is um, little understood and appreciated here, which is the potential impact of dividing America. At the end of the day, this is what Vladimir Putin desires above all else is to create confusion and division here in the United States to divide us from our European allies, hence the oil and gas piece. And then finally, as you and I have said a million times, in the end, politics are local in the sense that this plays very well for Vladimir Putin at home. All right. We have another segment here. But just to finish this off, uh, we're talking to Admiral Stavridis. Here's what Martha Raddatz said. Her sources told her about what Russia got from the meeting. I think you've heard the administration, you've heard Biden say how tough he was in that call and mince no words. But Vladimir Putin, I'm told by U.S. officials, was equally tough. He did not back down. He played the victim. He said he was the aggrieved person and stopped with all this democracy. So he was very, very tough. That's the way it was described. I know you have great sources. I don't know what you feel comfortable saying, but... I feel comfortable saying that both men were, in fact very direct with each other. But in particular, what I worry about here, and Martha's reporting is always spot on, um, is the portrayal of Putin as the victim here. He's going to continue to play that card, Brian, because if he decides to invade, he is going to want to do it, appearing to be responding to provocation from the Ukrainians. Watch for that playbook. It's clearly they got intelligence that shows that they're ready. Because why would NATO be meeting? Why would uh, oh. why would everyone be mobilized? Why would Secretary Blinken meet with Lavrov? Why would the president demand that meeting less or recommend that meeting last week? And lastly, the one thing we did not point out, which is good for Ukraine, they said it's really united the country. They thought by pressuring them it would divide the Ukraine. It's actually rallied the Ukrainians. And stop me if I'm wrong, they can fight. They're overmatched, but they fight. And do the Russians want to pay a price? They want to steamroll Syrian rebels. You know, they don't they don't want to fight Ukrainians who are as tough as nails. That is exactly right. And they also do not want to get bogged down in a forever war in Ukraine. And don't forget, Brian, Russia was in Afghanistan before us for 10 long, painful years. Watch those body bags come back. They got bogged down in Afghanistan. They know what it's like to be bogged down fighting a highly motivated population. Right. Uh, back in a moment with the Admiral. Go pick up his book uh, right now, although his tour really gets kicked in after the new year. Uh, go get it. It's the Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's some merit, he says, in Xi's state intervention if compared to the United States. I'm a free market believer, but now China has better roads, better highways, better airports, better ports, better bridges than the United States a country which dazzled me when I first arrived in 1980s with this infrastructure. But now China has a better infrastructure. So there is a role for the government to play. Uh, that's Wei Jin Shah, who is now here. Uh, here. I hope it's uh, Sean. I said his name right. But from 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago, Admiral James Stavridis is here. His book is now out. It's called, uh, as you know, uh, it's called Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea. Um, and you just fleshed off a book on China. Was he right? Have, have they? I haven't been to China. They're blowing us away in infrastructure? They are blowing us away in infrastructure. That'll slow down over time because of demographics. They, they have bad demographics. Their population's aging rapidly. Um, but they have moved out ahead of us in a wide variety of fields. We still have leads in some things. Chip manufacturing, for example, um, our military is still vastly superior overall to the Chinese military, but they're closing in all of those areas. We need to wake up to the challenge that is China. Now, Admiral, tell me what went into this book. This book is a culmination of a life spent at sea. And so what I did was I said, what are the 50 books out of the thousands I've read in my life that have meant the most to me in terms of understanding the sea? So it's novels like uh, Moby Dick. Um, it's uh, nonfiction books that talk about navigation, about longitude. And it, I'm making it sound like it's a specialized book for the sea, but it really isn't. It's for each of the 50 books, it's a short, very readable, snappy summary along with why is this book important to understand the oceans? And I'll, I'll close on it, Brian, by saying think about all the crises you and I are discussed and have discussed. It's the South China Sea. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It's the Black Sea. It's the high north, the Arctic Ocean. Um, so much of our security is dependent on the ocean. 
And then finally, our trade. 90% of all international trade goes by sea. And look at how the snarls in the current shipping around the world have created a great deal of challenge for the global economy. For all those reasons, it's a it's time for a book about the sea. And it's readable. It's something you don't have to be an admiral. It, it, you definitely don't have to be an admiral. You don't even have to be a, 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 a petty officer in the Navy. <laughs> but I, I would say the same thing about your books. You don't have to be a historian to appreciate the, the story of Abraham Lincoln and, and Douglas. It's an amazing story told at – a pitch point that's perfect for general readership. That's what I hope I've done in the Sailor's Bookshelf. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about it on television too as you get through, get ready for the holidays. Uh, so uh, Admiral James Trevitas, a rare in-studio visit, and it's great. Uh, we're allowed to now, uh, for now. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is coming up next. Uh, pick up the Admiral's book, Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 books to know the sea. It's the perfect thing to get as you try to get somebody something that somebody has everything. They don't have this yet. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you look at what the effects of sanctions have been, they're really hurting the people of Afghanistan more than they're hurting anyone in the Taliban. The Taliban have had sanctions on them for quite some time, and they've always managed to survive those sanctions. But now they have to run a government. I think a lot of people will say, well, I don't, we don't want to see aid go to Afghanistan because we don't want to give money to the Taliban. That's an extremist group. So you want to make 38 million people suffer because of a few thousand? That that math doesn't work for me. So how does that feel to watch 60 Minutes and hear just about the Afghanistans and how they're being uh, suffering? I don't want anyone to suffer. But my goodness, that is not the number one story as it relates to America when it comes to Afghanistan. But I don't want to lead the witness. My next guest wants to be the next governor of Texas and wants to get that nomination first. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now. Colonel, I thought about you when it came to 60 Minutes Sunday as they only talked about the humanitarian crisis, which the Taliban's responsible for, right? Yeah, absolutely right. It's good to be with you, Brian, and uh, Merry Christmas. You know, I understand compassion, but the real compassion for the people of Afghanistan should have been that we should have never allowed the Taliban to come back into power. And when you think about 2,500, 3,000 troops, maybe that's what the young lady that was speaking on 60 Minutes should have thought about, how this Biden administration made a horrific decision, a horrific decision which now has put the people in Afghanistan in that terrible position that they're in. And, you know, going back to the Obama administration, it was the Obama administration that released those Taliban leaders from Guantanamo Bay, uh, and they are now back in power. And they were just in a holding spot there in uh, in Qatar before they returned uh, to be there. And think about the equipment that is that was left there, which they can sell, uh, not just for the fact that people can use it, but they can exploit it for the technology. So I think that's the real nexus of uh, compassion, is that you don't turn people back over to a horrific, deadly, brutal, savage terrorist organization. I'll tell you what, too, and we were discussing with General Keene yesterday. I read that expansive article about Afghanistan, what led to it, what happened during it, and then afterwards on Sunday's New York Times Magazine. And the one thing that Trump made a huge mistake, and Khalilzad cut this ridiculous deal, allowing us to release 5,000 prisoners from Bagram Air Base. 
The worst of the worst. Think about it. If you're an Afghanistan soldier, not only are we leaving, not providing air cover, but we just let out 5,000 people. They probably, a lot of their friends died capturing. Yeah, and think about this. You know, when we are here in Texas and we have a southern border that's wide open with uh, these cartel members that will work with anybody, how long will it be before the Taliban, al-Qaeda, ISIS, or whatever work with those cartels and we start to see Islamic terrorists from Afghanistan coming across the border into the United States of America through Texas? So that's the long-range effect of releasing these uh, thousands of people that we had taken off the battlefield, and now they've got to Yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, Here's Michael McCall on uh, what we have to do about Vladimir Putin when it comes to the Ukraine. Cut 31. They're not a NATO ally, Mm -hmm. but I think our presence in Poland and in the Baltic nations, because Mr. Putin is looking beyond Ukraine. What he also wants is the port of Odessa, uh, where we were going to send LNG, clean energy, uh, and now he's probably going to maybe take that over. I think there's going to be more and more aggression uh, to restore the old glory of the Soviet empire. That is his ultimate uh, goal here. So that's what's happening in real time. Now he has 100-plus thousand troops on the Ukrainian border and just added 10,000 over the weekend. Yeah, you know, recall back during the Obama administration when Joe Biden was the vice president there, when Ukraine was facing the same thing. And, of course, the the, uh, Russians had overrun the Crimea and they were uh, putting the pressure on eastern uh, Ukraine. Uh, They sent them uh, MREs and socks. Uh, during the time of President Trump, I mean, he sent military hardware, and he was there to provide the intelligence support. Uh, we went back with the missile defense shield system that uh, with Poland, and you did not see this type of aggression. This is all about Ronald Reagan's peace through strength. This is about showing people that you are going to have a credible deterrence. We don't need to send mass amounts of U.S. troops over to the Ukraine. They'll stand up and they'll fight themselves, just the same as in the Baltic uh, countries of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. But what they would appreciate is uh, just some of the backup power that we could provide them by way of uh, intelligence support, radar support, and also uh, aerial support against uh, against Russia. And Russia does not want to – Vladimir Putin right now does not want to get his nose bloody. And so this is going to be a big foreign policy and national security test for uh, for Joe Biden. And one of the reasons, again, why they want to take those ports so that we can't not import the liquefied natural gas. And guess what? Port Arthur, Texas is the number one export location of liquefied natural gas in the world. And that's, again, why Texas is so important. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, talking to Governor, excuse me, the gubernatorial, aspirational gubernatorial, the next governor, governor of Texas, perhaps, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who wants to get that nomination first. So one of the big things we're hearing about now, five months ago, was about Florida and Texas not putting in mask mandates. And they're getting overrun by the virus. Now it's the number one story everywhere. And now it's among the lowest in the country. Why? Because the yeah. virus got a mind of its own. And mitigating it with masks is not effective, but it hasn't stopped New York from doing it. Nine counties are pushing back. Twenty-seven airmen and women have lost their commissions because they refuse to get vaccinated. This president is dividing like I haven't seen before, and, uh, and I'm just blown away by the after effects of it. Here's what Governor Ron DeSantis is doing about what's happening with uh, the restrictions, not happening with the restrictions in his state. Cut 10. 
Well, what are we on, like day 700 of the 15 days to slow the spread? The fact of the matter is, I think we've learned, you give these people an inch, they will never let go. They are going to take a mile. They are going to restrict. They're going to mandate. They're going to lock you down. And we cannot accept that. Obviously, in Florida, we do not accept it. So there's no reason to be restricting or mandating anybody uh, throughout our country. I give you Governor Hochul just put a mass mandate on for our own good. And then you have Ron DeSantis. Where do you stand? Well, I stand that we don't have mandates. First and foremost, mandates, edicts, orders, and decrees. That's how you rule over people. That's not how you govern people. And allow the uh, the citizens here in the United States of America to make the decisions for themselves, being wear a mask or not wear a mask, being what type of treatment protocol and therapy you want to undergo. I don't hear Dr. Fauci or any of the people on the left talking about monoclonal antibody infusion therapy. I don't hear them talking about budesonide nebulizer treatments. I don't hear them talking about ivermectin or uh, zinc or vitamin uh, D3 or calcium or vitamin C, all of those things that are available to people. All I hear them trying to do is to force people to go along one singular path, no options whatsoever, and that's not how we live. And and I want to say, you know, a couple weekends ago, I was up there in New York City, and after I'd finished doing the Fox and Friends uh, Saturday morning, I just went by this Empire Diner, which is on 10th Avenue, to get a bite to eat. And guess what I got told? I couldn't come in there because I didn't have a COVID shot card. And I just looked at the young man and said, so you're telling me a 22-year military veteran, former member of the United States House of Representatives, I need to show papers in order to sit down here and eat? He said, yes. This is where we have gotten to in the United States of America. And what is so sad and tragic, Brian, is that I remember my parents telling me about being told that they couldn't go to certain places to eat because of their, the color of their skin. And now we have the Democrat Party still segregating and dividing us. Now it's based upon what you're getting injected into your body. Yeah. Uh, we cannot stand for this to continue on. I know. It's outrageous. I found a few bars that doesn't ask for now on text me, so I'll show you the few bars that don't ask. But now they have these idiot inspectors that come up and try to find the bar owners if the Colonel West in Booth 6 doesn't have a vaccine card. That's how insane this has gotten. But it's yeah. going to get worse. Listen to this. New rules for kids in New York City starting today. Children as young as five will need to show proof of one COVID vaccine dose to dine indoors, go to the movies or other performances. This also applies for school activities like sports, dance and band. Then starting December 27, the kids 12 and up will have to show proof of two doses. I mean, I know you have to I know you're going to punch your hand through a wall, but what do you think about this? This is totalitarianism. This is tyranny. This is absolutism. This is authoritarianism. And the American people have to wake up and say no to this. Because where does it end? When, when does it stop? Ron DeSantis was absolutely right. Back in March of 2020, we were told we needed you know, two weeks to, to flatten the curve. And now look at where we are, that kids age five have to show papers. Um, I, went, I, I remember seeing East Berlin as a young lieutenant. And I never want to see what I saw in East Berlin happening here. But now it is. When you have these inspectors going around, you know, back-checking people, that's no different from the East German Stasi police, the secret police. When you have dads that are being arrested in their homes because they spoke out at a school board meeting three days prior, this is not the America that we uh, that our Constitution guarantees. And so we're going into a very important election cycle in 2022. I think the American people are going to show up and reject all of this. Lieutenant Colonel West, uh, where do we? If people want you to be the next governor of Texas, where do they go? 
You go to West, the number four, Texas.com, West, four, Texas.com. And yesterday was the end of the uh, filing period. So now the stage is set. Uh, voter registration for the primary ends 31 January. Early voting starts the 14th of February. So we're right there. All right. Uh, best of luck, Colonel. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. God bless. Thanks so much, Brian. You got it. one 866 408-7669. When we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, also expand the conversation and talk a little bit more about what we're doing with these uh, mandate mania and some of the fallout. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The emergency is over. So, you know, public health doesn't get to tell people what to wear. I mean, that's, that's their, you know, <laughs> that's just not their job. Public health would say always wear a mask because it always decreases flu. It always decreases anything. Um, but that's, you know, not something that you require. You don't tell people what to wear. You don't tell people to wear a jacket when they go out in the winter and force them to. If they get frostbite, it's their own darn fault. Yeah, and the whole thing is the the people that the mask ones get a vaccine, stay in your huddle, stay in your closet. People say, well, you'll spread it uh, easy. Vaccinated people, there's no proof of that. I haven't seen any data that says that vaccinated people uh, spread more or less than unvaccinated people. They're the ones in trouble. I'm not telling you. I don't really think you should smoke. Do you know anyone who says smoking is a good idea? Well, walk around any city. People are smoking outside. They used to smoke in offices. They used to smoke in planes. That changed, but smoking is still allowed. It's not a good move. To sit at a bar all day, to drink every day. I watch these men on the train every day. You think it's a good idea to drink every day? No. But who asked me? I don't know if they're going to live to 108 or 78 or another eight years. But that's my whole point. And that is Jared Polis, our Democratic governor of Colorado. Here's more. People who want to be protected are. Those who get sick, it's almost entirely their own darn fault. I, I don't want to say that nobody gets ill who's been vaccinated, but it's very rare. Just to put it in perspective, uh, about 1,400 people hospitalized, less than 200 or 16 percent are vaccinated, and, and many of them are older or of other conditions. 84 percent of the people in our hospitals are unvaccinated, and they absolutely had every chance to get vaccinated, right? At this point, if they haven't been vaccinated, it's really your own darn fault. That's your choice. I respect that, but it's your fault when you're in the hospital with COVID. Right. And it does tax the hospitals. I understand it. But I cannot control behavior. I know. I, I'm sure people drove drunk last night and got away with it. Is that a good move? No. Is it against the law? Perhaps. Uh, okay. Of course it is. And when you get arrested, you get arrested. Is that a good move? Does it keep you healthy? No, it doesn't. Do I tell you to eat crappy food and snack in the middle of the night with heavy cheese nachos? No. But you're not going to get me sick. You, there's no data that I have seen that shows you're going to substantially spread the virus more. And we are at the point now where the most vulnerable, the seniors, are all vaccinated. Others don't feel comfortable or some have the natural immunity. We're at about 90 percent. Dr. Scott Atlas on what's happening right now. Cut 13. There's no reason to change policy right now or to panic. And there's another reason not to. It's not just that we don't know. It's that one thing we do know is there will be more variants. This is what happens. This is medical student immunology first year. When you're coming out of a viral pandemic, the virus mutates. There are more variants. And typically, 
we ex and as we expect with this, the variants are less lethal. So isn't that someone just, in just, public health leadership at some point should set the Americans straight on what to expect? This is expected that there are variants, right. and it's expected that they are less lethal. So and let's see what happens there. We don't have all the data. Are we going to get a booster every month, every three months, ad infinitum, yeah. forever? I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that. I mean, we don't we don't do anything every three months, but that's where we're heading. Take your two shots. Now I need a booster. And now if there's a specific variant, I know uh, Pfizer's working on one for this Omicron, but we don't need it. It's a low. If you even know you have it, it's a low grade fever and a runny nose. So far, this is a terrible number. 450,000 Americans died in 2021. Now, take away that month, because Trump was technically president then, January 20th. I guess you give him most of January, three weeks of January. He lost 385,000. So, without a vaccine, Trump did better than Biden with a vaccine. And a million shots already in arms before Joe Biden got into the Oval Office. So, with a vaccine, and with the and no doubt about it, 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 the stats say you're six times more likely to be hospitalized if you're not vaccinated. This vaccine, we're doing a great job exporting it. Give Joe Biden full credit for that. But once it got out there and it was done, he starts with his mandates going against his own word. Now he lost 27 Air Force personnel for refusing to get the COVID vaccine. 34,000 healthcare workers, various de- degrees and skills because they didn't want to get the vaccine. And some hospitals are forced to drop their COVID-19 vaccine mandate because they don't have enough people to work in the hospital. Hospitals at HCA Healthcare and Tenet Healthcare Corp., as well as nonprofits Event Care and Cleveland Clinic, are dropping the mandates. Labor costs in the industry have soared. The hospitals struggle to retain enough nurses, technicians, and even janitors. If these politicians had a brain in their head, the lazy ones, the ones that just don't want to put the time in to get comfortable with the shot, push them. By incentivizing them at a certain time, do not penalize them because it will lead to tremendous resentment. In New York, Governor Hochul says Monday, new indoor mask mandate. Among the people upset by that, Thomas Swazi, he's a Democrat that's going to be run for governor. He says it's causing chaos and confusion. It doesn't even matter if you like it. Nobody knows even how to do it. Livingston County says it will not enforce. Eight other counties will not enforce. Nassau County, Democratic Council member, Democratic uh, officer, uh, her office will not actively enforce the mandate. Bruce Blakeman, who will replace her, will not actively enforce the mandate. So people are saying, I'm not going to waste my time. Uh, We have enough problems. Carjacking, shoplifting, snatch and grab, looting, whatever you want to call it. Governor Ron DeSantis, cut 10. Well, what are we on, like day 700 of the 15 days to slow the spread? The fact of the matter is, I think we've learned, you give these people an inch, they will never let go. They are going to take a mile. They are going to restrict. They're going to mandate. They're going to lock you down. And we cannot accept that. Obviously, in Florida, we do not accept it. So there's no reason to be restricting or mandating anybody uh, throughout our country. Best governor in the country. And if Trump wasn't running, he'd be odds-on favorite to get the nomination. Uh, and, of course, he wouldn't have the job without Trump. I'll see everyone tonight. I'm going to be in the Newtown Bookshop. I'm going to be there in Newtown, Pennsylvania, Nashville on Friday, Redneck Riviera. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want you to call 1-866-408-7669 uh, and then find out what you have on your mind because we have a lot to talk about and a lot to do. Uh, John Rich is going to be joining me in about 10 minutes, and then I'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company in the back end. Leaves us a lot of time for your emails on briankillme.com. You could just go there, click on comments. It'll go right to my uh, Yahoo address. And a uh, quick announcement on the President of Freedom Fighter. Thanks so much for keeping it in the top 10 in the country. But I'll be in Newtown, Pennsylvania tonight. Ticket sales are great, but they're not as good as Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I know the Newtown-Doylestown rivalry has been going on for generations. Don't let them beat you, Newtown. Nashville, Tennessee, this is just new. The Redneck Riviera. And John Rich is going to talk about this. Uh, the famous John Rich from Big and Rich. Famous. He's got his The Pursuit on Fox Business. will be hosting me at 815. I'll be doing Huckabee's television show. And that's going to be a thrill. And then I'll be, instead of just relaxing... Well, I talked to John Rich, said, yeah, just come on down. It's never before been done. He's on 3rd and Broadway uh, in Nashville. Never been done before. Signing books on a Friday night in the busiest thoroughfare. And the, and the best place to be on a Friday night is Nashville, Tennessee. And then I'll be in Cincinnati, Ohio, December 18th at the Joseph Beth Rockwood uh, bookstore. Joseph, uh, Joseph Beth Rockwood. And then over to Dayton, Ohio, WHIO listeners, a special event there at Dayton Memorial Hall. A lot to discuss so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This happened in broad daylight, and they have people come and break into your store while there's customer shopping and there's children in there. My partner's children were in, came to visit him and his wife, and here comes two guys, one carrying a gun. Joseph Perlow. On Fox and Friends yesterday, he's got an exotic car shop, and it got raided. Smashed and grabbed, guns are blazing. Believe it or not, the guns were not pointed at anyone, so you can't press charges. Or you can charge them, but they can't hold them. It's not left or right, it's right and wrong. And now business owners and law enforcement are speaking up and acting out against unchecked smash and grab assaults, playing major roles in cities and wreaking havoc in cities across the country. Finally, when will Dem show the same outrage? Number two. New rules for kids in New York City starting today. Children as young as five will need to show proof of one COVID vaccine dose to dine indoors, go to the movies or other performances. This also applies for school activities like sports, dance and band. Then starting December 27th, kids 12 and up will have to show proof of two doses. Nuts. Here we go. Mandate mania. Renewed focus on masks. But in New York, backlash. Nine counties say, no, we will not enforce this ridiculous green governor Hochul mandate. This is the Air Force discharge. It discharges 27 for not taking the shot. Thousands more shown the door in our armed services. I ask, how is this helping? Number one. And the estimates for the CBO, which is really, a, you know, as you know, the gold standard, no Republican or Democrat questions this. But it's important to understand that when you when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a bill that doesn't exist. (laughs) 
Yeah, the one-two punch that might just KO the reconciliation bill. The CBO score, which shows it's trillion, a uh, couple of trillion more than they said, three trillion more than they said, and the fact that Joe Manchin says it will add to the inflation, which is on a 40-year high. And that's what I want to discuss, the economy. Remember, the Democrats that looked at the CBO when it came to President Trump's tax cut, and he said, oh, with the CBO score, that's what you got to go by. That's what you got to go by until they get the CBO score that showed it's $2 trillion, $3 trillion more than they said. Listen to the flashback first, February 2010, leading up to 2017. All Democrats all talking about the CBO. It's coveted. Cut one. And the estimates for the CBO, which is really, a, you know, as you know, the gold standard, no Republican or Democrat questions. This. Some of them are trying to pin a rose on this report and make it sound like it's a good thing. And the others of them are trying to discredit the CBO. But it's completely wrong. Before we enact major legislation, we should know the truth. CBO speaks the truth. They've been speaking the truth for decades. And to try to attack CBO is simply attacking the messenger. The CBO nonpartisan fact-based score shows what a horror show this Republican plan is. We're going to be stopping it cold, and certainly the CBO information gives us a big, uh, big boost. Yes, that was then. This is now. Jen Psaki. And Peter Ducey on the CBO score that has this bill, $2 trillion. He says uh, they're right now they're looking at a bill that's roughly $1.9 trillion, but yet to be finished. But now the CBO says, no, it's more like $4 trillion, 3 to $4 trillion. Cut to. So the president says that the Build Back Better is not going to add a penny to the deficit. The CBO has this new score uh, where they assume that social programs are going to be made permanent. And in that case, it would add almost $3 trillion. So does that mean that President Biden will commit that these programs are not going to be made permanent? Well, first of all, what we're, you're talking about here is a fake CBO score that is not based on the actual bill that anybody is voting on. This was a ask request by Senator Graham to score a bill that is not currently being debated. But it's important to understand that when, you, when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a f- bill that doesn't exist. Uh, and we should really focus on the actual bill everybody's uh, going to vote on and considering in Congress right now. Because the CBO score, she says it's fake, is because we project the programs continuing. Do you know anybody that wants to do a Build Back Better plan or a reconciliation plan and wants it done in one year? That's what they wanted the CBO to score it on, one year. That's why it came out to $1.9 trillion. But if you keep adding to the deficit year after year, unless you believe the, uh, the paid leave program, the daycare program, unless you believe the unemployment insurance that they're doing, all these green energy programs are just going to be done in one year. It's not fake. What it is true is the bill's not done because Joe Manchin's not done with the bill because he's not going on to any of this. 40-year high? Are you kidding? He writes, as we know, he's a pivotal moderate. Manchin's repeatedly refused to endorse the measure known as Build Back Better. And on Monday, he reaffirmed his calls for Democrats to slow down this work, particularly in response to inflation. He says the child tax credit is but the most underpriced item in this bill. And it's what, by the way, Chuck Schumer and the president want most, and so does Nancy Pelosi. The biggest inflation driver, he says, is President Biden's $1.75 trillion Build Back Better plan is now out there. 
It's still a heavy lift. The roughly $1.4 trillion between the White House and Manchin estimates the program cost highlights the distance between the center have to move. But Biden has proposed spending $185 billion on a one-year extension of the child tax credit. But Manchin doesn't want, didn't want the first one. It's up to 3600 per child. He says it's, we can't afford it. Manchin prefers to think of all of Biden's proposals over a 10-year time frame. That's what, Joe, that's what Senator Lindsey Graham did. If you want an honest number, put it for 10 years. Manchin prefers to think of all of his programs like that. Uh, ahead of a phone call with Biden, Manchin made it publicly laid down some of the markers for how the bill could pass and why he thinks it will fail. Lindsey Graham, cut three. What did I do? I asked a CBO to look at the bill to see if it had budget gimmicks. It was made up of shell games. And that's what Joe Manchin asked in November last month. And what did CBO tell us? If the 17 programs stay in place and they'll never go away, it's not 1.75, it's 5 trillion. If you spend that much money over 10 years the way the bill is constructed, the deficit goes from 360 billion to 3 trillion. So it's a lie. So what she said about me is a lie. The bill that's on the floor is a lie. The bill on the floor is set up to cost 1.75 trillion based on a lie. It's a lie that these programs will go away. I hope that inflation 40-year high, Manchin not aboard, Kristen Sinema is mysteriously silent. They can't even get together on the salt tax. It allows people to write off their state taxes, which means if you live in Chicago, uh, if you live in Illinois, if you live in New York, if you live in California, these high-tax states, you can write off your state taxes. Therefore, you get a little bit of a refund or a little bit of an offset when it comes to your taxes. If you don't get that, that's why people are leaving. Why am I staying here? Quality of life's bad. The regulation's through the roof, and the taxes are sky high. So they want that back. They don't know, have any idea what, how, what threshold it's going to be. It's not done yet. Elizabeth Warren was asked about Joe Manchin. Are you going to sit down and talk to me? He says, I don't have nothing to say. We're done talking. Let's just vote on it. Good. Vote on it. See how that goes. Uh, when we come back, uh, I'll, I'll talk to John Rich. He's the host of The Pursuit with John Rich on Fox Business. Starts Wednesdays at 9 o'clock. Great, great uh, way to look at entrepreneurs up and coming, uh, what they did, the risks they took, and, uh, and why they are happy to have the pursuit of happiness. And then we'll talk about his big event, the unprecedented event that's got the country buzzing in Nashville, Tennessee, the Redneck Riviera, 8-15, December 17th. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. one 408 7669 I see all your calls up there from Tennessee to the Bronx, but Saratoga, upstate New York, and, and Nashville. Uh, so we'll be getting to all of you. John Rich will be joining me shortly. And the bottom of the hour, it's one of those times where we simulcast on FBN with Stuart Varney. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, crime, talking about the border, uh, and talking about this this Build Back Better bill, which is, I, won't even, I don't even want to say, because reconciliation is really what it is. It's a simple party-line vote, and they cannot get their party to vote for this at all. So that is why, uh, obviously, the American people are not supportive of it. Ari Fleischer weighed in on what we've seen. Cut seven. 
She's in over her head. So is the president. At least the president's less in <laughs> over his head than she is. I mean, we have to pray for his good health so we don't get her. But when you look at her boss, Sean, I think it's fair to say that since Joe Biden took office, he has had the reverse Midas touch. Almost every issue that he's touched, he's botched, largely because the biggest botch on his watch has been going woke. This is what he and Harris have done. They've abandoned the centrists, the moderates, the mansions in the Democratic Party, and they've become a woke party. That's the core of the botch, and he's the botch in chief. He doesn't have to be. I mean, look at Bill Maher. Does he get more liberal than Bill Maher? Bill Maher's outraged. Look at Dave Chappelle. Think Dave Chappelle is a big conservative? They're pushing back on what's going on right now. Harold Ford, I'm not saying specifically, but I don't think he's very happy with this whole cancel uh, culture, this whole anarchy in the major cities, in every city, because of the lack of conviction about convicting people. With me right now is John Rich. He's got his own show. It's Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock till 10, uh, repeated often on the Fox Business Channel. It's called The Pursuit with John Rich. No more for his country music exploits. And currently, at least last time I spoke to him, his song was number one in the country. Santa's Got a Dirty Job, which he did with Michael Rowe. John Rich, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Kill Mead. I appreciate it, brother. We're looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing you soon. Yeah, Friday, I'll be there at 815. Uh, thanks to you. Uh, the Redneck Riviera, the place. And we'll have a chance to get there around 8.15 on a Friday night. And you you claim, you've put your best researchers on it, on Broadway in Nashville, third in Broadway, there's nothing like this has ever been done. Let's just say that on a Friday night on <laughs> Broadway in Nashville, reading books is not generally what people <laughs> are doing. <laughs> what about buying books? Uh, I don't ever. I've never seen somebody buy a book either, unless you come up with. Maybe you should offer a shot with every book, Brian. You'd probably sell out in five minutes. Well, maybe we should do that. Maybe I would sponsor that. A shot with a book is that? <laughs> is that a good message though? Well, possibly. You know, uh, I've never heard of a law that says don't drink and read. So right. I, you know, I think Redneck Riviera whiskey and your new book that might be a good way to spend the weekend. Right. How about this, John? That that thing that you guys have, not you, but. They have that bicycle where you put, what, 20 people on a bike and they pedal up and down Broadway? What's that yeah, called? Yeah, that's called, that's called a pedal tavern, and I suggest you never get on one. Because? <laughs> uh, because when those things start climbing a hill and people are about three or four beers in, sometimes it doesn't go that well. So <laughs> I understand. You need full cooperation. Like, yeah, downtown Nashville – is probably the most energy per square foot of anywhere in the United States. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. And listen, you've got a lot of a lot of patriotic people down there, uh, especially at my bar. You know, the first the first thing you see in my bar is a giant American flag made out of beer cans behind the bar. And if you're active duty, a veteran, or first responder, we start rolling out the red carpet, giving drinks away. We take care of all of our guys. You'll see hundreds, Brian. It, it may be past a thousand police and fire patches that have come in from all over the U.S. Uh, hanging on our walls. We greatly love our first responders. And to have you in there signing this new book, man, I think it's going to be great. <laughs> well, it is patriotic. I mean, it is our history. It's, uh, it's the president and freedom fighter, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, the battle to save America's soul. So I have another chance to do what I was doing prior, two books ago. I was in Nashville all the time uh, because I was researching at the Hermitage, researching Andrew Jackson. Mm. Yeah, boy, he was a pistol. I mean, you know, I love your uh, your lineup of books because to me, we've got part of our culture wanting to erase history, 
And then here you are writing more in depth about history and you're, you're finding out things you're never going to learn even sitting in a classroom reading a history book. I mean, you're digging all the way down and understanding what it took to build our country, what kind of sacrifices actually happened. You know, liberty or death was not a bumper sticker or a hashtag. It was the attitude that it took to make America happen. So the kind of books you're writing, Brian, we love them, and that's why we can't wait to have you at Redneck Riviera. Right. Perfect fit. And I'm going to sing. I may sing a few historic songs, maybe a little Battle of New Orleans or something like that <laughs> while you're signing, man. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime deal. So I should bring more backlist, more, more Andrew Jackson, being that he's 20 minutes from the Nashville airport. Absolutely. Bring them. Bring them, man. We'll have it packed out for you. It's going to be a great time. So let me ask something. Is Broadway back? And if so, when did it get back? Yeah, Broadway is absolutely back, back bigger than I've ever seen it before. I mean, I think the pent-up uh, demand from people wanting to get out of the house and wanting to come to Nashville and hear live country music. Yeah, you know, on Broadway, every single every single door has another live band in it. Like my, my building, Redneck Riviera, we have three live bands, a live band on every floor of the bar. So, yeah, people are showing up in mass, having a great time, and waving the flag. If you look on the top of my building, you'll see the American flag, the Gadsden flag. Uh, we are we are proud Americans at Redneck Riviera. Well, absolutely. So about 8.15, I'm going to do Huckabee Show and just get there as quick as I can. A third and Broadway. Where do you park? Uh, we'll, we'll find a spot for you. We might have you park in the front, man. Get right out in the front right. door and walk in. I was, and, thinking, uh, I was thinking about the public. John, even if we sell one book, it just gives me an excuse to get in the bar without paying that steep cover charge that you have. So I'll just say, hey, listen, I'm working for him. Uh, so, John, your book, your song has been number one almost since it was released with Mike Rowe. Did you, he says that you, you wrote it, you had the idea of just walking out of the bathroom when we were at the Patriot Awards. <laughs> Yeah, nothing fancy about my style, Brian. You know that about me. So I, I uh, interviewed Mike Rowe for The Pursuit, my show on Fox Business, and I said, Mike, I bet you never thought about Santa Claus having a dirty job. He goes, holy cow, that is a, that's a really dirty job. And Mike's a great singer. I went, took a bathroom break. The chorus entered my mind, yes, in the bathroom. I walked out singing it to Mike. He goes, this is perfect. Let's record it. And, yes, it's the number one downloaded song in the world this week. Uh, all proceeds go into the Folds of Honor and the Microworks Foundation. So go get it if you don't have it. Uh, it's great. And also, just like Bing Crosby would have to sing White Christmas every year, John Rich, you and Micro have been committed to this for the rest of your years on this planet. <laughs> Thank, thanks again, John, for doing this. We'll watch your show tomorrow night at 9 o'clock, The Pursuit on FBN. Thanks, brother. We'll see you this weekend. All right. Play us out. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Inflation is real. It's not transitory. Uh, it's alarming. It's going up, not down. And uh, I think that should be something we're concerned about, geopolitical fallout. I just don't think that that's, that's a fair evaluation of saying that we're going to spend X amount of dollars, but then we're going to have to depend on coming back, finding more money. I'm concerned about paying down debt, too. 
So that is uh, Joe Manchin yesterday prior to speaking to the president. Elizabeth Warren says, I'm not speaking to Joe Manchin or anybody else. I'm, I'm done talking. They just want to spend, spend, spend. They, want to, they wanted $3.5 trillion. They got it down to $1.9 trillion. When you factor out that these programs aren't going to sunset, the CBO said it's more like $4 trillion. So with inflation at a 40-year high, with the CBO score, why would anyone pass this? You shouldn't. And that would be great, uh, I think, for the country. For Joe Biden, he needs to pass this to keep his left at bay because they passed the bipartisan bill with the hope of bringing this up. And the House, they just put everything in it. And the Senate is supposed to blow it up and just rip it apart because they know that certain things are never going to fly with certain moderate members of the Senate, unlike the House, where they could just jam it through with just one simple vote. Most of the people will go along with what, uh, what uh, AOC and what Nancy Pelosi will say. By the way, yesterday, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden said they had no plans of retiring. I mean, he's incredible. You gotta be kidding. How could they not retire? But the Build Back Better plan, to me, it's gotta be done. Cut six. Tom Cotton. Build Back Better uh, seems to be running into speed bumps, namely Joe Manchin on, on Capitol Hill. Where do you see it? And do you think Democrats can pass it before Christmas? Well, I certainly hope not. You know, I do give Joe Biden credit for this, Brett. Last year or last month, we learned we had the highest inflation rate in 30 years. He said he was going to do something about it. On Friday, he did. We have the highest inflation rate in 40 years now. <laughs> of course, if we spend $5 trillion more trillion that we don't have in this legislation, that's going to contribute to more inflation. That's why Senator Manchin and, frankly, some other Democrats as well have reservations about this you- bill. Yeah, that is uh, funny and true, and that's why people should have some reservations. Now... You just watch when this doesn't pass, when the next year starts, and it looks like the Senate could be in jeopardy and the House will be gone, no question. Will it be 63 seats like Obama, barring anything uh, unforeseen happening? With them gone, who's going to bring up getting rid of the filibuster? One thing I am for is getting reform when it comes to confirming these ambassadors and these uh, cabinet secretaries. you got to pick up the pace. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe the staffers meet and turn it over. I don't know. Because it's not good that Jeff Flake just got the job as ambassador to Turkey. A very important job. Now, no one's really standing in Jeff Flake's way. Democrats like him. Both Republican Trump guys don't like him, but they don't dislike him personally. So he should have been passed right away. All these people. I know when they don't nominate somebody, that's a different issue than I'm talking about. But for those people who are waiting in line, that's the issue. Uh, so... We will find out this week, I believe, if there's a chance of this thing passing. So they're talking about Chuck Schumer saying uh, he wants action for Christmas. On an afternoon phone call, this according to Playbook, Politico's Playbook, between Biden and Manchin came at a critical moment. uh, Manchin is expressing privately and publicly that he's not sold on this $1.7 trillion. Uh, He says it's very fluid right now. Uh, and the White House spokesperson, Andrew Bates, signaled that Biden and Manchin would speak again in the next coming days. Bottom line is he doesn't like the child tax credit. He does not want to go up to 28 percent when it comes to the uh, tax rate uh, on for trade. He doesn't want to uh, do daycare, have universal uh, daycare, preschool. I don't think that's going to work. So, therefore, there's a bunch of markers that are laid down, let alone a lot of this stuff in the green agenda where he says, I'm from an energy state. Why would I want to convert to a technology that is not ready? It would only hurt the country. No kidding. I've been saying that uh, from day one. But that has not stopped others from weighing in. Like, for example, Jen Psaki. Uh, why we have to do it for the families? Run up the debt. Cut five. 
Child tax credit payments go out this Wednesday. Mm -hmm. This could be the last time if the program is not renewed. What would you say to those families who are wondering if this is the last check as they wait to see if Build Back Better gets passed? The, well, the president would say this is why we need to move forward as quickly as we can in getting the Build Back Better bill passed so that we can ensure that families across the country who have benefited from the child tax credit, who would benefit from having uh, child care uh, costs cut, who would benefit from having health care costs cut, uh, will get the relief they need. Uh, and that's something that would take effect early next year. Yeah, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, when it comes to all those things, it comes with a price. It doesn't balance out. People know you're not telling the truth. That's why his approval range is so low. I'm surprised they're even in their 40s because on pure performance, he's been absolutely awful, and he does not look on top of his game. He actually looks worse physically than I even imagine. Now, I am going to be joining Stuart Varney uh, right after this break, but I'm going to go a little bit longer here because the other thing that's affecting – I know I'm just talking New York. I'm located in New York. And they're now doing a mass mandate wherever you go, from from the gyms to the restaurants to the theaters. When you walk in, walking around work, you're supposed to have a mass mandate. Nine separate counties have said to the governor, because you're supposed to keep it as January 15th. No, we're not doing that. I know the number's ticking up, but we're not doing that. Because the numbers are pretty astounding. Over 90% in this state have been vaccinated. Seniors have been vaccinated. Kids are not the issue. But that hasn't stopped uh, Anthony Fauci says, I want now kids as young as five, even three, get vaccinated for the good of the country. At the same time, telling us to get a booster, that's three. And then we might need another variant at the end of the year for another variant or for this one by the end of the year. He's not really sure. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya was on with Laura Ingram last night, and he thinks this whole thing is getting blown out of proportion for parents, especially. Cut 11. He's playing on a straw man. He's saying the children can, uh, can be infected. Well, no one ever doubted that. The issue is, do they re respond to this infection with, with a, a severe outcome? And the answer is they don't. Uh, he's fear-mongering again to parents for reasons I do not understand. We should be assuring parents that uh, compared to other things like the flu or uh, many, many other risks that children face, COVID is not among the most severe risks that children face. They should be getting back to normal life. Yeah, that's really important. Talk about normal life. That's what we're hoping in this Christmas season. When people were able to take the mask off and walk around and actually shop in person, I know a lot of people only want to shop online. That's fine. But others don't. And certainly a lot of these retail stores could hardly afford anything but a banner blockbuster holiday season. And we're seeing a lot of block busting. We're seeing it in Oakland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, and Philadelphia, as well as Chicago. What am I saying? There are high crime rates, lack of prosecution, emptying the prisons, and the smashing grab, which seem organized. The Wall Street Journal writes today that it's been organized on Snapchat. Sometimes they don't even know the people they're going to be going with. They just show up at the right time. They grab the stuff, and they're able to sell it, sometimes on Amazon. But the problem is the, the district attorneys have no... No type of deterrent, because they know if you get in, you're going to get out, because I guess minorities had it too bad for too long. Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate and U.S. attorney Bill McSwain was on Fox News at night talking about what is causing this rise in widespread crime. Cut 22. The problem is not the police. The problem is these uh, progressive prosecutors in Chicago and in other areas around the country, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, New York. The prosecutors in those cities are more concerned about coddling criminals than they are about standing up for law-abiding citizens and standing up for business owners and standing up for public safety. And so we've seen this really unprecedented spike in violent crime and homicides 
in those areas. Yeah, in those areas, and it's all self-inflicted. There are things that happen. You have a blackout, everybody loses power, things get looted. That's not what I'm talking about. These are district attorneys that have no interest in prosecuting. Here's Larry Krasner, an embarrassment to Philadelphia. He uh, went ahead and said this. First, I'll tell you what he said originally. Cut 15. I think it's important that we don't let this become mushy and bleed into the notion that there's some kind of a big spike in crime. There isn't. There is not a big spike in crime. That is not true. There is also not a big spike in violent crime. Neither one of these things is true. Basically, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. Really? Uh, That is not true. And former Governor uh, Nutt came out, uh, mayor, and blasted him. He's a black guy. He says it's white privilege that Larry Krasner thinks there's no problem because the people being affected most outside the smash and grab and high-end areas are the ones in working-class areas, a lot of them minority-owned. Krasner got blitzed and then came out and apologized, kind of cut 16. I failed in not acknowledging that pain and that suffering, a pain that disproportionately affects people of color, and poor people. Yeah, uh, that's a joke. Uh, stop with the crying. Uh, you lead the, everybody in homicides. You've got to be reminded that you should apologize for acting like there is no problem. It's nuts. Alex Villanueva gives me hope. He's the sheriff. He was on with Tucker last night. He is pushing back against his district attorney. His, this uh, this uh, George Gascon, an embarrassment to the nation, put there by George Soros. Cut 18. If you can't do the job, you need to get out of office, plain and simple. Uh, Roughly 12,000 cases in his first year in office that he has not prosecuted, that we made the arrest. So that's 12,000 times that the crook walked away scot-free. What kind of message is that selling to the criminal community or sending to the criminal community? I'm constantly trying to keep the morale of my organization up, and I tell all the deputies, do not... Don't do your job because someone else refuses to do his or her job. Listen, I'm telling you, this is what I'm getting. I've been to about 18 cities. People are talking about crime more than anything else. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. I'll be able to take your calls on the back end, but right now I'm going to go on the number one show in Fox Business television, uh, the Stuart Varney Show. We're going to come and we're going to talk a little bit about crime, punishment, and lack thereof, and also talk about Vice President Harris and her fascinating look at electric cars. Uh, that's going to be interesting. So let's listen in together. 9.6% rate of inflation in the last year at the producer level. Here's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brian, uh, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about Jen Psaki being pressed about uh, Vice President Harris's role in addressing the border crisis. Look, I know you've seen this before, but I want to replay it for our audience. Roll that tape, please. Is Vice President Harris still in charge of addressing the root causes of migration? She is. Why is it that she has not spoken to the president of Guatemala since June? And if she's in charge, why why is that? Well, we have had a range of conversations as are reflected in our readout we put out last week. Right. No contact with the president of Guatemala since June, and she's supposed to be in charge of the root causes of this thing. What's going on, Brian? Lazy. 
lazy. That's it. But, but bottom line is, in this environment where you can cop out by saying the coronavirus makes me want, want to travel or such and such and surge, and I don't want people in jeopardy, and I want my, uh, my security team on the ground, you could sit there and do Zoom calls all day long. You want to get to the bottom of it. You want to see how they're progressing. Now, she does have a meeting with different business leaders to try to get other people to invest in job training. You know what a comprehensive look on what's going on in Central and South America would be? And we discussed it when you've come on the show. We talked about if you want to get manufacturing into our hemisphere again, we're a bunch of hardworking people that need an opportunity, you bring it to Central and South America. That's called a plan. Instead, you have somebody that doesn't really want to do the job. She wants the trophy. She doesn't want to play the game. And what she has to do is get in there, find out what the issue is, and build the barrier that's already paid for, get to the border. And the thing is, if you see somebody, if you watch the Trump administration during their four years, at first, a lot of their policies were not working, but they kept at it, kept at it. President Trump would fire somebody, put somebody else in. Remember, he went through two or three Homeland Security secretaries. In the end, he got it right. They are just not even paying attention and when asked, she changes the subject to goes a pocketbook shopping in France. Yeah, I mean, but, but she's failed miserably on the border issue. So now I believe she's been put in charge of charging stations for electric vehicles. I mean, I, I would say that's quite a come down, isn't it? Can you do something? I laugh when analysts say they gave her a job that's impossible to do so they make her look bad. Are you kidding? Give me a tough. Don't ask to be vice president or president if you want an easy job. Now, with this, the electric cars, that's your big push. Right. In a time in which gas is really high, starts talking about electric cars and pretend when you plug something in, it's magical when you don't hear an engine. That's not even an issue. What you do should talk about is what fuels the electricity, which is mostly coal plants, which could be an issue. To me, Look, she, she wants to do the show. She wants to be the Queen of England. She doesn't want to be the Prime Minister. And with the, she was elected to be a Prime Minister. Uh, look, I think America has a problem, and it's not a political problem. We have a problem because our president is frail and aging, and the country has no confidence in the vice presidential second pick. That's a problem for the whole country. Last 30 seconds to you. Well, I mean, it's a problem, and it's going to be a real problem for them in 2024 because they're going to need somebody to run in that slot. You can rattle off eight legitimate presidential candidates, even if you don't want to vote for them, eight legitimate candidates. Where are the Democrats? Where are the governors? No bench strength. None. It's not there. I'm out of time. Sorry, uh, Brian, that was good stuff today, and we appreciate it. We'll see you again real soon. We'll get him to it. Thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We just shared audiences with uh, Stuart Varney, who's talking about the future of the Democratic Party. But let's look at what the Republicans have right now. They have a President Biden who says he's going to run again in two more years. They also say Nancy Pelosi is going to stick around, too. They say Governor Murphy might be a legitimate candidate. Uh, They also say that Pete Buttigieg is the golden child. Really? We had a look at the golden child. Nobody in the Democratic side wanted Pete Buttigieg. What has changed? He took three months off during the first supply crisis in the history of our country, and he's transportation secretary? What are you talking about that he's the golden child? Are you going to go to uh, Beto O'Rourke? The guy's going to lose a third time. He's going to lose for Senate. Uh, He won rent for president. He's going to lose again if he gets the nomination on the Democratic side. Who else are you going to go? Gavin Newsom? He was almost recalled. And my goodness, please tell me at what point do you think that Gavin Newsom's done a good job in California? The Democrats are in trouble, let alone in the House and the Senate. 
Although it was interesting yesterday that Herschel Walker did speak about some of the problems he had in his first marriage, uh, as well as what he had with mental illness. And he says it's very similar to it's very similar to an injury. He was able to deal with it. He realized he had a problem. He owned up to it. He's made amends for it. He's not running from it. He wrote about it in his book. But these are the type of issues and the candidates that could deliver the Senate and put additional pressure on President Biden. I actually think it would be pressure relief because he'd be forced to go across the aisle, and he doesn't now uh, because they blew Georgia. But when Herschel Walker and then Pennsylvania, if Dr. Oz or this uh, Mark McCormick, this uh, this billionaire uh, from Connecticut, now in Pennsylvania, via Pennsylvania, wasn't Connecticut, uh, a very successful businessman, if one of them to emerge and would hold on to Pat Toomey's seat, if somebody could get to take a run at Hassan in New Hampshire and flip that seat, if you can get a run at Mark Kelly, uh, the AG there, Abramovich, to uh, to run at him in, to make a legitimate run at him in Arizona because he's done almost absolutely nothing to keep that seat. If they hold on to Ron Johnson's seat in Wisconsin, if Ron Johnson holds on to it, I believe he's leaning towards that. I have not heard many legitimate candidates, although... Um, Congressman Duffy now here, uh, Sean Duffy, I mean, they say that he would be a great candidate to be the next senator or the next governor there. So if you can get somebody to run in these battleground seats, hold the seat where it would be tough, and then win the seat, then you could have you could have a situation. You could have a situation where uh, the Democratic Party really is on its heels or forced to anoint another leader. But if Joe Biden holds on to one chamber, they're going to look to stay on that horse. Uh, and that horse has not been a strong one. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. Meet me in Newtown, uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania, tonight at 5 o'clock, Friday in Nashville. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Bottom of the hour, Sandra Smith will be with us, and Frank Silva, one of the great human beings on the planet, CEO of Tunnel to Towers. Uh, will be with us, too, talking about trying to help out the family of the Navy SEAL who lost his life tragically, leaving five kids and a wife uh, on just a training accident domestically, Brian Bourgeois. And we're going to see what we could do for his family. Frank Siller mobilized the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. You've been so supportive of them. Might need you again. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This happened in broad daylight, and they have people come and break into your store while there's customer shopping and there's children in there. My partner's children were in, came to visit him and his wife, and here comes two guys, one carrying a gun. Yeah, there's Joe Perillo talking about his exotic car dealership that was raided at gunpoint in a beautiful area of Chicago. It's not left or right, it's right and wrong. Now business owners and law enforcement are speaking up and acting out against wildly unchecked criminals. Smash and grab assaults put together by organized crime, sometimes on the internet, and the damage is exponential. 
Number two. New rules for kids in New York City starting today. Children as young as five will need to show proof of one COVID vaccine dose to dine indoors, go to the movies or other performances. This also applies for school activities like sports, dance and band. Then starting December 27th, kids 12 and up will have to show proof of two doses. Mary uh, Calvi, yes. Uh, she's talking about what's happening in New York. It is nuts. Mandate Mania has renewed focus on masks. But in New York, huge backlash. Nine counties say forget it. We're not enforcing it. And now we find out that kids can't go anywhere without a shot. Are you comfortable with that, parents? Number one. And the estimates for the CBO, which is really, a, you know, as you know, the gold standard. No Republican or Democrat questions this. But it's important to understand that when you when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a bill that doesn't exist. Yeah, uh, right. Fantastic. The one-two punch that might just KO Joe's reconciliation bill. The latest on the agenda, make or break destroying bill that could wreck our economy and help build back Biden. And what are the, what's the one-two punch? It's real simple. The one punch is inflation. The two punch is the CBO score, which says it's going to be about $4 trillion. Joe Biden doesn't want to, Joe Manchin doesn't want to spend $2 trillion. They were going to be at $3.5 trillion, but the gimmicks kept it low and maybe some, in some minds affordable, but it wasn't and it isn't. Lindsey Graham, on what he asked the CBO to score and what he got, cut three. What did I do? I asked the CBO to look at the bill to see if it had budget gimmicks. It was made up of shell games, and that's what Joe Manchin asked in November last month. And what did CBO tell us? If the 17 programs stay in place and they'll never go away, it's not 1.75, it's 5 trillion. If you spend that much money over 10 years, the way the bill is constructed, the deficit goes from 360 billion to 3 trillion. So it's a lie. So what she said about me is a lie. The bill that's on the floor is a lie. The bill on the floor is set up to cost 1.75 trillion based on a lie. It's a lie that these programs will go away. Yeah, so that's the problem. Now, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is pressing for action by Christmas, but I don't see it. Joe Manchin called the president. They're supposed to talk again. president called Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin just standing in the way. But he's standing for other Democrats, too, that don't really think it's too much of a political risk to come out. They know they can't just jam down this green agenda and know the tornadoes aren't immediately linked to climate change, even though every time there's a hurricane or a tornado or there's tragedy, a flood, or a drought, it is climate change. Or is it the earth always preventing a challenge? You know, you read about Jamestown when the first settlers landed. They said record high temperatures. You see about how cold it was at Plymouth Rock. Record cold temperatures. Through time, all we hear about is how tough the temperatures are. But now it's climate change now that's causing all the temperature change. I, I just don't see it. And Biden's Build Back Better plan wants to double the cost of child care. Is that going to make any sense? For a family with an infant and a four-year-old, he said the bill would slap them with an additional $27,000 for care unless they qualify for the Build Back Better plan, which they say will lower the price. But someone else is writing that check. Makes no sense. Andrew Bates, the deputy White House press secretary, says the president and Senator Manchin had a good constructive phone call and agreed to follow up. We'll see. What I find really astounding is that when Democrats come out and say we got to get rid of the filibuster, they don't remember that we, they act like we don't remember that they used it dozens of times to stop Donald Trump's agenda. When the Democrats come out and criticize the CBO, they forget that it was almost, it was only a year ago where they were not even talking like the CBO was anything but the gold standard. In fact, those are the words used. 
He was dating back from February 2010 to March 2017 to March 2017 to four different cuts of Democrats with a Donald Trump in the White House, a different perspective on the same CBO. Cut one. And the estimates for the CBO, which is really, a, you know, as you know, the gold standard, no Republican or Democrat questions this. Some of them are trying to pin a rose on this report and make it sound like it's a good thing. And the others of them are trying to discredit the CBO. But it's completely wrong. Before we enact major legislation, we should know the truth. CBO speaks the truth. They've been speaking the truth for decades. And to try to attack CBO is simply attacking the messenger. The CBO nonpartisan fact-based score shows what a horror show this Republican plan is. We're going to be stopping it cold, and certainly the CBO information gives us a big, uh, big boost. Yeah, that's exactly it. So either we love the CBO, gold standard, or it's terrible, it doesn't apply to a bill that doesn't happen. Now, in reality, there is truth to the fact that they're not done yet. Because they can't just pass the House bill. they got to get the Senate Rules Committee. Ron, uh, Ron Wyden, you just heard from last, he's on the rules and he says, yeah, I'm waiting on a big readout on what I can and can't include in it without having to send it back to the House to be re-voted on. The other big story is the mandates and what happened in New York. They put the mass mandate back. Now it looks like California is looking to do the same exact thing. We know about the vaccine mandate and the havoc it's causing. So just so to get it straight. Joe Biden was elected to get a hold of the virus. We have lost, under his watch, 450,000-plus Americans since 2021. Little overlap there with Trump had the job for three weeks. Number of deaths up until 2020, 385,343. And keep in mind, too, that Joe Biden had a vaccine. A million people had gotten shots by then. But the mandates are creating absolute head, uh, a headache, uh, unrest, and anger. I got to give credit to the Democratic governor of Colorado. He's not out of the woods yet in terms of the cases and the vaccinations, as well as the hospitalizations. But he says, look, we're done. Cut eight. The emergency is over. So, you know, public health doesn't get to tell people what to wear. I mean, that's that's you know, (laughs) that's just not their job. Public health would say always wear a mask because it always decreases flu. It always decreases anything. Um, But that's, you know, not something that you require. You don't tell people what to wear. You don't tell people to wear a jacket when they go out in winter and force them to. If they get frostbite, it's their own darn fault. 100 percent true. And he goes on. What's so significant is I've been saying that. You hear Republican governors say that. You don't hear any Democrats say that out loud. Cut nine. People who want to be protected are. Those who get sick, it's almost entirely their own darn fault. I I don't want to say that nobody gets ill who's been vaccinated, but it's very rare. Just to put it in perspective, uh, about 1,400 people hospitalized, less than 200 or 16 percent are vaccinated, and and many of them are older or of other conditions. Eighty-four percent of the people in our hospitals are unvaccinated. And they absolutely had every chance to get vaccinated, right? At this point, if you haven't been vaccinated, it's really your own darn fault. That's your choice. I respect that. But it's your fault when you're in the hospital with COVID. Yeah, that's what we've been saying. I didn't tell you to smoke. You might be smoking. I didn't tell you to drink last night or every night. You go do it on your own. I could judge you if I want, but I'm too caught up in the people that I know better. So you shouldn't eat fatty foods, especially if you have a pre underlying fat condition, uh, underlying heart condition. I can't stop you. You should be exercising every day, but if you don't, it's not really up to me. You're making your own decisions, except for when it comes to this virus, which is nuts. Candace Owens was on last night with Tucker Carlson. 
And she looked at what's going on with these policies, the mandates, the vaccines, and thinks it's all done on purpose. Cut 14. These leaders that we're talking about, they aren't stupid. They know that these policies don't work, and they know that they're putting in place these policies not because they want to beat a virus back. They're actually not stupid. They're evil. Um, they understand that they're trying to usher in a new era in America, uh, which will give these individuals that are within their, poli their, their uh, elite political class unlimited power for a very long time. That's what we're seeing ushered in right now, an authoritarian regime in a country that was once free. This country is no longer free by any metric that you would use to describe freedom. This is not normal behavior. Children have uh, parents having to fight to have their children go to school and be allowed to breathe out in the open is not a normal conversation for you and I to be having. We shouldn't be talking about what you and I are talking about right now in a normal scenario. Yeah, but nothing's normal. one 408 Sandra Smith at the bottom of the hour. She's getting sent to host her show. But coming up next, Frank Siller taking action when he heard, as usual, he always does, that Brian Bourgeois, a commander of SEAL Team 8, had a training accident, leaving a family of five kids and a wife and a mortgage. Uh, he uh, decided to take action. Tell the Tower is a big sponsor of this show. We want to see if we can mobilize you guys in this holiday season to help him out and outline what we exactly we need. Uh, Frank Siller, CEO of Tell the Towers, next. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, well, welcome back, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I don't know if you remember last week, there's been so much going on, especially with those tornadoes that just ravaged uh, the Midwest. Uh, there was uh, the tragedy of Brian uh, Bourgeois, and he was a SEAL Team 8 commander. Just in a training uh, training with his team, uh, he died in a fast rope accident. That's all we really know. There was memorial service yesterday. He was honored at the West Point the Army-Navy game, not at West Point, but the Army-Navy game at the Meadowlands on uh, Saturday, but Frank Siller wasn't done. He says, hey, I'm the CEO of Tunnelton Towers. This is somebody, a first responder, a, an officer who I think we need to help. He's got a family of five they'd have left behind and a young wife. Uh, and joining us now is Frank Siller. Frank, it never stops. What did you think when you first heard about what happened to Commander Bourgeois? No, my heart broke because, uh, look, this guy's married and has five kids and uh, he's gone in an instant, and so many of our heroes who, you know, sacrifice so much for us and will to die for us every day sometimes do. And in this case, uh, it's, a, it's a tragedy, and this time of the year, any time of the year, it doesn't matter, but now, you know, Christmas season. So at the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, you know, you know what we do. We pay off mortgages or build mortgage-free homes for these great heroes that are left behind for their families, and we want to make sure – that um, that uh, Commander uh, Bourgeois, uh, his kids are taking care of his uh, his uh, uh, his wife uh, Megan and five children are left behind. So we want to get that mortgage paid off for Christmas, and uh, that's why we're asking people to go to t2t.org and donate eleven dollars a month or more 
you know, uh, you go to a landing page, you'll see uh, Commander Bouchoir on there, and uh, and you could make a donation, just one-time straight donation, a larger amount if you can. Great. If not, you sign up for $11 because, uh, you know, it's not just him. There's many others that we have to help. So, so here's a quote. we want to make sure yeah. this is taken care of by Christmas. So his rear admiral, who knew him, obviously he was served under, he served over him. He said, uh, Brian is one of the very best leaders who possess all the attributes that make our forces effective. We will miss his charismatic leadership and faithful stewardship of our standards. Legacy carries on in teammates he served with, led, and mentored. Uh, initial indications show that the tragedy occurred during a fast rope training evolution where you literally, fa- from the sky, you fast rope down using the rope as a guide. And this is training. Frank, doesn't it, isn't it especially challenging if someone's at war, if someone's in the middle of a fire, you expect it. They know what's at stake. But this is training. And you wouldn't expect after all the, uh, all the deployments that he had, not many people are prepared for this. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> they're always prepared to go to war for us. And they train like they're at, in war. And uh, and these type of accidents happen all, all the time because they're preparing to, to keep us safe. And uh, this guy's been doing it for a long time. You know, he he's given uh, I think it was 17 years or more to our uh, to our country. And uh, and it's just uh, so sad that this uh, this happened. But you know, as a, as a nation, we have to make sure that we take care of the families that are left behind. And Tunnel to Towers Foundation, we are the the conduit to make sure that this this mortgage is going to be paid. We could do something about this. Now we can't bring them back. <laughs> you know that. Right. But we could take this, alleviate this, you know, this mortgage for their family. There's something we could actually do. We could be proactive and do something to help this family. And believe me, it's a big relief. Um, I understand that one of the kids were concerned about the fact that that what are we going to be able to stay in the house that we're all been together? Could you imagine that thought? They lost their dad and they're still worried about whether they could stay in the house. Well, they're going to be able to stay in in the house because we are going to make sure uh, that we take care of them as Americans. So go to T2T.org again. I'm going to say it a couple of times, T2T.org, and we got to take care of them. At the same time, Tunnel to Towers Foundation, I'm in the middle of a meeting just before I came out and here on the radio with you. I have a whole team of uh, of great people that were getting prepared to go to Kentucky and other states that were hit with these tremendous tornadoes and loss of life and loss of property. And uh, during Hurricane uh, Sandy uh, relief, we delivered. I, I can't even tell you. I did over. We did over a thousand mold remediations in, in itself. We we built over. We helped rebuild over a thousand houses. So we we've been doing this for quite a while, and we respond quietly in in many cases when there's hurricanes and different things. But in this case, it's it's so horrific that we're going to you know we have a team. I've already have a hundred New York City firefighters who have volunteered for me that are going to drive out there with the several trucks that we have loaded, uh, and we're going to be going in the next couple of days. Wow, uh, the five kids: it's Barrett eighteen, Ali sixteen, Piper thirteen, Callan eleven, Jonathan six. They got two dogs, Molly and Dudley. And now with five kids and he's 43 years old and right before the holidays on top of that, you wonder right away, you know, a lot of times we have five kids. I don't know how, but it, most likely not working. So you got to go refire up your career. You got to see about daycare. And then you got to wonder how am I going to fill the gap without a husband and a father? So if you could do that one thing, at least know no one's going to throw me in the street. That would be key, Frank. And what was it like when you actually talk uh, to her? 
Well, she was overcome with emotion, a strong woman, but she was overcome with emotion. I spoke to her uh, two days ago, and um, she's getting ready to, you know, for the services for a, for a husband. So you can imagine what it was like. But I wanted her to know right away that you know, she's not going to have to worry about staying in, in, in her house. Hey, look, she had five kids. They had five kids. My brother, Stephen, who, you know, a lot of people know his story, died on 9-11, ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel with his gear on. He had five kids. So when I heard that, that uh, uh, Commander Bush, Bushwa had five kids, I said, oh, my God, I, I know what this uh, – uh, what this family is going to go through. I've seen it with my sister-in-law and, and, and my brother's uh, five children. Um, and uh, But you know what? We, we could carry them through their darkest uh, moments, the darkest times, by being there for them, and not just financially but emotionally, and uh, say our pray, pray for them spiritually and help carry them through this uh, terrible time. Right. And we're going to do that as a foundation. And Frank, good luck in Kentucky. Congratulations on all the stuff you're doing. What a great difference you're making coming up to Christmas. Brian Bourgeois, go to T2T.org and see how to help them out when they need it most. And this organization uh, all year long. Frank Siller, thanks so much. Thank you. We're going to get this paid off by Christmas. Awesome. Thank Fantastic. You, uh, Sandra Smith next. Right from the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Video that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Every Republican will vote against Build Back Better. You know, and that's quite a feat. The Republican Party can't unite itself. But the Democratic Party has been able to do something we can't do. Build Back Better has united every Republican. All of us will vote against it because it's a nightmare for the country. It will lead to inflation. It's full of budget gimmicks and it's $3 trillion unpaid for. So every Republican vote no. We're down to Joe Manchin. And if Joe Manchin listens to the good people of West Virginia, he'll vote no. Uh, That is Lindsey Graham saying, hey, CBO, do me a favor. Can you do a realistic score of this Build Back Better bill reconciliation package because they have it sunsetting these programs in a year. Why would you put together a revolutionary package that's supposed to be your signature for your administration and only sunset a year? Do it over 10. They did, and it's double the price. And that's why uh, Jen Psaki says, well, it's a fake CBO score. Not really. With me right now is Sandra Smith. She's got Business Roots, co-anchor of America Reports from 1 to 3 today. Hello, uh, Brian, Sa- kill me. Sandra, well, all of a sudden we're defaming the CBO. What happened? I don't even know. And Jen Psaki made those comments on my air yesterday. Sorry, on our air, on our show, America Reports, yesterday. And I remember I sat back in my chair and I said, what's fake about that? What is fake about having the CBO look at a very real scenario that could actually play out? Um, I think you have to ask yourself, in all reality, as an American, is it a possibility Or is it a probability that the CBO scoring that out is a reality? I think it's a probability, right? I mean, you can't really look at it any other way. The CBO scored it the other way as well, by the way. The CBO had an obligation to look at what is a very real scenario. I think that could happen. And I think that American people have to understand that a $3 trillion price tag is a very real thing because they're going to pay for it. So Joe Manchin's holding out. Uh, So here is what Joe Manchin said yesterday about before he met with the president of the United States uh, on via, via the telephone, mm-hmm. obviously, and there's going to be a follow-up call this week. Inflation is real. It's not transitory. 
Uh, it's alarming. It's going up, not down. And uh, I think that should be something we're concerned about, geopolitical fallout. I just don't think that that's, that's a fair evaluation of saying that we're going to spend X amount of dollars, but then we're going to have to depend on coming back, finding more money. I'm concerned about paying down debt, too. So, yeah, that's what he's saying. It's not realistic to say it's going to sunset in a year. Oh, I want these programs to go. Well, who's going to get that money in a year or two, whether the House is in the Republican hands or Democratic hands? So what do you think is more realistic, Sandra? Well, and Democrats have already gone on the record, and we should play the tape of every single one of them saying that they will ask for those to be extended, and the timeline is probably 10 years. Um, as far as what this does to the bigger picture, by the way, I've got Nikki Haley on this uh, today. Lindsey Graham has been talking about this on our airways as well. He just tweeted out this morning talking about Congresswoman Jayapal, chair of the Progressive Caucus. He says, all due respect, Congresswoman, the CBO score exposes the fraud in Build Back Better. It is not outdated, and instead it is inconvenient for the hopes and dreams of the left. The Wall Street Journal editorial board obviously wrote about this as well. You've got to look at stripping out the gimmicks that the Democrats have employed in this bill and look at the reality. I think it's fair that everybody's doing that today. So big picture, Brian, you talk about my business roots background. Everybody's got to be concerned about inflation right now. If you are not, you are nuts. 40 year high. I'm, I'm not just talking from an economic perspective. I'm talking about from a political consequences perspective as well. 40 year high only going up. Joe Biden says it's going to peak. That should be a red flag to everybody. Sorry if I'm a bit of a contrarian when it comes to that. But if you're talking about inflation, a result of the massive spending that we have already put in place in this country, and you're talking about spending massive amounts more, where in history have you ever seen inflationary pressures calm in the wake of more government spending? There is not a moment in history where that is the case. So why is this time any different? So between the CBO score and the uh, and the inflation rate, you got to think it's the one-two punch that, at the very least, delays this game. So Senator Warren was saying, "Hey, listen, President uh, President Biden's going to talk to Joe Manchin again." She says, "This there's nothing more to be gained for more talk. We have talked, talked, and talked. It's time to make some final decisions and vote." But he's the moderate. Kirsten Sinema, remarkably quiet. Other people might have trouble keeping their seats if they support this in moderate areas, like Senator Hassan of New Hampshire. You think they're going to be in for this? Joe Manchin's going to turn out. He's just a rock star in this moment, right? He's not putting any arbitrary deadlines. He's speaking his mind. Um, He's going to come out of this a big winner because at the end of the day, if he says yes— He and his fellow Democrats will be responsible for the massive amount of debt we take on. All right, here's my other point. The evil cycle that is inflation. You've now got CEOs that have been meeting with President Biden that have gone on the record saying, in the new year, we are likely going to have to implement implement massive pay raises. They're going to have to raise salaries. They're going to have to raise wages. You know, we how will that affect? We, we keep saying everybody's going to report. Fox News says pay raises and higher wages is a bad thing. Well, you have to look at the cycle. The CEOs are saying that because the pace of inflation is rising faster than the pace of wage growth. And when that happens, you have a major imbalance and people feel that. And workers who have a lot of leverage right now with 11 million open jobs, Brian, they're going to demand more pay. So the evil cycle I'm talking about is those CEOs are going to have to raise pay for their workers 
in the new year right. to, to beat inflation. And then guess what happens? Those companies that are implementing those pay raises, mm-hmm. they're going to pass those costs down to the consumer. Right. Right. And, and that's who will ultimately play, pay. So for that's this. why people say when the price goes up, that also uh, affects inflation. So it's going to be a heavy lift. We'll see who else comes out there. Joe Manchin does not seem to mind the spotlight. Doesn't see he lives off it. Doesn't seem to mind it. Doesn't mind people following him around. To me, I think he minds, but he's yeah. willing to fight for it. Right? Well, if he knew if he was taking on the president like this and the entire left, remember the Maserati moment in the garage? Yes, we all remember the first <laughs> the time a gang stopped our Maserati in the garage. Uh, we all remember the first time, anyway. So that seems to stand out. But Joe Manchin, I guess he's seventy something years old. Already made his money. They're trying to find something on him. They're already bringing up his investments into natural gas. And is he doing something for his own interest? And oh, oh and boy, I'm just saying they got to look into his background. That's certainly going to be it. Keep in mind too, Joe Manchin's using his leverage for Democrats. Remember, the theory is that Joe. The reason why Mitch McConnell went out there and raised the debt ceiling the first time is because Joe Manchin went up to him and said, "How am I supposed to be able to say that?" Uh, I'm working, uh, Republicans are easy to work with when you wouldn't even let me raise the debt yeah. ceiling. And Mitch McConnell said, I hear you. Yeah. Because the last thing he wants to do is make Joe Manchin look bad great to point. his own party. Yeah. No, it's a great point. Um, our econ panel today, uh, love having them on, Steve Moore and Robert Wolf. We are going to run a soundbite uh, from Allianz, the chief economic advisor there, Mohamed El Arian. I believe you know him, Brian. Uh, he comes on the show often. He said on Fox News Sunday over the weekend, the characterization of inflation as transitory is probably the worst inflation call in the history of the Federal Reserve. So now there's a big question over whether or not the White House will be able to sort of shift the blame for the for the, the what do they call it Biden stagflation? Whether or not can be able to shift the blame from the White House now to the Federal Reserve, who quite clearly did get this wrong, calling the higher prices you know transitory, which they clearly have shown that they are not. Is it the Fed's fault? Should they have acted sooner? Right. The answer is yes, but this is this is all happening under the Biden administration. There's and how many of- moves do they have? I mean, lower interest rate, raise interest rates. Are they? Uh, or they could stop printing money for a change. And if they stop printing money, some people might get not printing money. The emergency is over. Yeah. One could, should make the case. And we shouldn't uh, be living in this super easy money environment that we have been. You know what I worry about? The deal that Jay Powell may have cut to keep the job. Because, mm. is uh, you know, after meeting, suddenly Joe Biden, who is down on this Donald Trump pick, who Donald Trump was clashing, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't think I really have a problem with him. And then Elizabeth Warren's complaints kind of went away. I wonder what deal did he cut yeah. in order to keep a job that has a lot of prestige, not a lot of pay. So that is the one thing that I find fascinating because no one's looking at If you look at unemployment and growth, you go, okay, Joe Biden's got to feel pretty good about no, it. No, unemployment no, no, went down. Growth is pretty good. Yeah. But nobody feels that way. And because when you look around, the prices are up, these shelves, even though Joe Biden told us they're not, are not as full as they were. They're a little bit of a challenge to the supply chain to blame. And then you have a situation where a lot of people are not working. I would love to see Joe Biden make a few speeches where, listen, I only have six and ten workers working, if that. Mm-hmm. I need a lot of you can. I understand it. But there's many of you can. America's built on our work ethic. That's what they brought in. We need you to go back to work. We need you to fill some of these millions of jobs that are open now. This is why when I have this conversation, I just had this conversation with Larry Kudlow as well. Is there just a, is, has there just been a change in philosophy two years into this pandemic about work, right? When you know that the government will be a backstop and not just an emergency backstop, but they'll be there for you even when things improve, which is still the case. 
Um, has there been a change in philosophy? I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. You know, people write about the gig economy has changed things. People have right. w- worked out ways to stay home, do other things rather than nine to five jobs and, and nine to five jobs. And that's sort of kept a lot of these jobs empty. But I, I do think that there's been a shift in the way America works. I, I think I want, that's going to be looked back on in this moment in history. People listen to us around the country, around the world, and we're located in New York. And I think it's another time to bring up what's happening here locally. The mass mandate. Nine mm. separate counties have said, we're not enforcing it. We don't need it. We're not enforcing it. I had the incoming, um, the Nassau County executive come on today and say, we have 91% vaccination rate. That's what you told Nassau County to do. They did it. 84% over in uh, Rockland, Livingston. We're not doing it. In New Jersey, we're not doing it yet, they said, but it could be coming. I think there's huge backlash. This was such a huge mistake for this Governor Hochul to decide to do this. And I'll give you an example. You work out all the time, right? Do you belong to a gym? Yes. Do you belong to a gym? I do. Do you know on Long Island, there's this huge division because now half the people want everyone to wear a mask. Let's say a third. Two thirds say, if I have to wear a mask, I'm not going to the gym. So they have people protesting out in front of these gym owners who don't make a ton of money yeah. between all the maintenance and the leases and everything you have on the equipment saying, wait a second. Well, Governor Hochul says you better. I'm going to report you. The others say, if you make me wear a mask, I'm done. And then you got this 18-year-old who's at the desk who's asked to tell Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, put the mask on, yeah. really, or Mr. and Mr. Hulk yeah. uh, to put it on or you're going to have to leave. I know. So it's between that, the restaurants, and can we play before we go to break, Eric? What is that soundbite that you have from CBS? Listen to the new rules, because you're a, you're a mom. Listen. Hmm. New rules for kids in New York City starting today. Children as young as five will need to show proof of one COVID vaccine dose to dine indoors, go to the movies, or other performances. This also applies for school activities like sports, dance, and band. Then starting December 27, the kids 12 and up will have to show proof of two doses. Oh, man. I, I have some friends that just went to Broadway over the weekend to see Harry Potter, and it was like they had to get they had to get, all get their clear COVID tests. They're already vaccinated just to go into the city and go to a show. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, I've been talking to Mark Siegel about, a lot about this, Dr. Mark Siegel. Uh, he and I are going to co-write something for either USA or Wall Street Journal. We haven't decided yet. I mentioned to him, up in Massachusetts, they are following a model of your community reaches 80% vaccination rate. The kids can take off the masks at school. He said, that's fascinating because you know what? You have to have a goal, right? There's got to be there's got to be a goal that you reach that then you can take the mask right. off. We can't live like this forever. But, but yeah. I mean, you're talking about in this area, not only do most people have two shots. They've got the booster shots. Kids 5 to 11 now have their shots. My kids have their shots. They're still wearing masks in school. But the problem is it's not just goal. It, a lot of people do not feel comfortable with it. They don't want to get the vaccine. A lot of them see that what's happening, a lot of these young athletes, they see some swelling of the heart, fluid on the heart, the microconditis. You're better at saying that, Eric. Than anybody. How do you say it? Myocarditis. They see it. I've, I've seen four or five people like, excuse me, I'm fine. But that's fine. Then that, then it should be a choice. If you get vaccinated, they've talked about then the kids can take off the mask in school, but then it should be voluntary. Then if the kid right. chooses not to, then wear a mask. Absolutely. I love it. Here's Governor Jared Polis, Democrat from Colorado. My hope is people will put the D and R away and just be logical like this. Cut eight. Amen. The emergency is over. So, you know, public health doesn't get to tell people what to wear. I mean, that's that's just, you know, <laughs> that's just not their job. Public health would say always wear a mask because it always decreases flu. It always decreases anything. Um, but that's, you know, not something that you require. You don't tell people what to wear. You don't tell people to wear a jacket when they go out in the winter and force them control. to. If they get frostbite, it's their own darn fault. Thank you. Amen.
Amen. If you don't wear a hat, you're going to get cold. <laughs> so you shouldn't smoke. A lot of people shouldn't eat fatty foods. Right? I mean, what do we, we, we can't get into people's lives like to this. To that point, how often have you gone to the doctor recently as things have gotten better and you've got doctors, their primary concern is not COVID. Their primary concern is people missing their, their regular examinations, yeah, their regular screenings. They're coming in late. They find out they have cancer. I mean, that is a problem. Right. And, and at the head of it is the guy up top, Anthony Fauci, saying, look out. Now get a third, fourth shot. A third shot might have a separate Omicron shot so we don't get a 99 fever and a runny nose. Back in a moment with Sandra Smith, who's going to do her show from 1 to 3 with John Roberts, America Reports. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. People who want to be protected are. Those who get sick, it's almost entirely their own darn fault. I, I don't want to say that nobody gets ill who's been vaccinated, but it's very rare. Just to put it in perspective, uh, about 1,400 people hospitalized, less than 200 or 16 percent are vaccinated, and, and many of them are older or of other conditions. 84 percent of the people in our hospitals are unvaccinated, and they absolutely had every chance to get vaccinated, right? At this point, if you haven't been vaccinated, it's really your own darn fault. That's your choice. I respect that, but it's your fault when you're in the hospital with COVID. Uh, that was uh, more for the Democratic governor of Colorado, Governor Jared Polis. He said 80 percent of the people in hospitals uh, have not been vaccinated. That's your choice. That should be the answer. Sandra Smith's here, uh, said to host our show, America Reports, from one to three. You heard Elon Musk said the same thing. You know, he said some shocking things and it was quite reasonable. He said, I'm vaccinated. I believe the vaccine works, but I don't believe that anybody should be told they have to. Right. What since when is my, uh, you know, my medical business, their medical business or theirs, mine? So this is what I listen to Howard Stern once in a while, uh, and I used to listen to him all the time, but he's knee-deep in the Hollywood community. They claim that those people not vaccinated are keeping this virus alive, uh, which there's no proof that that is a fact, but every person that doesn't get vaccinated is selfish. Anyone who doesn't wear a mask is selfish. That is, especially outdoors, what are you wearing a mask for? So that's the whole Hollywood idea. My question to you, Sandra, is if Donald Trump was still president and he was saying get vaccinated, would this be total reversal? Would every would every conservative be vaccinated? Would every liberal be saying, I don't trust Donald Trump's vaccine? By the way, he said he did say get vaccinated and he himself he got vaccinated. Right, But so he doesn't the- jump in your face and d- demand you do it every day. Right. He tells you to do it, but he doesn't demand you. I don't do know it. if you heard last week, uh, President Biden, for the first time that I, I noticed, he gave President Trump credit for getting the vaccine in the first place. I did not hear that. Perhaps more of that would help. He was in a Q&A at the White House after he gave a speech on the economy. And I thought that was an interesting moment. I, I actually do wonder if he had done more of that um, since he took office in January, if that could have been more helpful to acknowledge the uh, former president's role in getting the vaccine uh, in the first place. But I, I just think we're in a mess. <laughs> in a messy situation because you've got a White House that is acknowledging the COVID problem in in, in such, I mean, it's, it, it's everything. I mean, you listen to the briefings. We're going to get one at 2 o'clock today. It's everything for this White House. But you've got spiking crime all over the country right now, a border crisis, an inflation crisis, foreign policy decisions to make. Why aren't we hearing more from them on that? Where's Kamala Harris? Oh, that's a great question. What a tease for your show it was. Maybe that's going to be the opening <laughs> animation. Nikki Haley will be joining us. All right, great. Uh, Sandra, can't thank you enough for coming in. Thank you, Brian. All right, America Reports from 1 to 3. Thanks so much for listening. I will see everybody in Newtown, Pennsylvania tonight. 
the president and the freedom fighter. See you then. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.